at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the book, sorry, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward the heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is eternal as you are, that though the times may change, your word stands forever as truth. And thank you that as we look to the throne, it is occupied. Thank you that you are also on the throne of our lives as we choose to put you there daily. I pray for Pastor Paul. I thank you for the words you've given him. And may he speak them with clarity. May our hearts be open to receive as well. And Father, may you teach us through your Holy Spirit. We pray your blessing on him and us. In Jesus' name, amen. How do we live in the face of an almost certain earthquake? We are hearing news of this almost monthly from our media telling us that the big one is coming. Well, this is how the government website for earthquake preparedness begins. BC is considered a high-risk earthquake zone. So be prepared to be on your own for a minimum of 72 hours by developing a household plan, putting together your emergency kit, and connecting with your neighbors. By planning ahead and practicing drills, you and your family will know what to do. During an earthquake, drop, cover, and hold on. <laughs> And yet, how many of us are prepared for the earthquake which they are telling us is coming? 
In a much more significant sense, we live in a tribulation zone. And our world lives in that same tribulation zone. And Daniel has been giving us insight into the days which are to come to enable his people, the people of God, to be prepared so they are not caught off guard when that tribulation comes. At the heart of it is really a single question. Will the people of God endure when evil does its worst? Daniel, in other words, is a survival manual for the saints. By planning ahead and practicing drills, you will know what to do. During a tribulation, trust, encourage, and endure. Be one of God's 1335 people. And yet, how many of us are prepared for those coming days? Chapter 12 is divided into two parts. Uh, verses 1 to 4 are the conclusion to the vision that began in uh, verse uh, 2 of chapter 11. And, uh, and then verses uh, 5 to 13 are the summary of all that sort of God has said to Daniel. As we come to verses 1 to 4, we recognize that, as I said, it's the conclusion of the vision that began in chapter 11, verse 2. And it is a vision that ends with us really at the very end of the days before Christ returns, when the Antichrist is now set up his rule and his reign. And verses 1 to 4 are full of encouragement for the people of God. It is all bound up, too, in one word, and that is escape. Those who are found written in the book will escape. The books that are opened will determine the sentence but the book of life will pronounce the judgment. And so as we come to these uh, verses then, I just want to sort of summarize verses 1 to 4 by saying this. They, there will be a time of great distress. Is there any assurance that the saints will stand? Again, we're coming to a time of great distress. Is there any assurance that the saints will stand? It's clear that the last days, the days which are marked by the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ are going to be punctuated by times of special stress and danger. You can read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and it says, In the last days, difficult days will come. Over the course of that whole time, there will be periods that are intense and difficult. And this trouble and this persecution will all reach a final conclusion at the time of the end. And what an end that will be. There will be a time of distress such as never has occurred since the nations came into being until that kind time. I'm not mincing any words here. Scripture tells us that there are coming very, very difficult days. In fact, days that are so difficult that were they not cut short, even the elect may fall. Daniel indicates that never before in history will there ever have been such a period of suffering which is so severe and so intense. And so we ask ourselves, is there any assurance that the people of God are going to make it? The first four verses I found just sort of serendipitously are summed up in a single promise that's contained in Nahum. It's simply this, the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of distress. He knows those who take refuge in him. This text unpacks that promise. And it does it in this way. First of all, it tells us that we are a helped people. In the midst of all this trouble and this distress, we are a helped people. How? We have a great guardian. He says, Michael, meaning who is like God, 
the chief prince of the people of God, an archangel, stands watch over all of God's people. That's what he says there in verse 1 of chapter 12. He fights for God's people. His task is to bring deliverance to all whose names are written in the book of life. Jude tells us about a contention that Michael had with Satan himself over the body of Moses. It was a restrained battle. It was one where Michael certainly recognized the, um, the, the strength of Satan, but he also had a command of God to deal with the body of Moses, which is a picture, again, of his care over the people of God. And so Michael retained possession of Moses' body. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, we read that Michael is the leader of the heavenly host who are making war against the dragon and all his angels. He in Revelation 12 is the one who is described as doing battle on behalf of God's cause. And so as we look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, we see that we are a helped people. We have Michael and the hosts of heaven fighting with us and for us and on our behalf. Secondly, we are a known people. Our names are found written in the book. It's difficult not to read this back into Daniel chapter 12, the Lamb's book of life that is referred to in Revelation chapter 20 and throughout the New Testament. In both Daniel and Revelation chapter 20, you'll found that it says, you, you will, you'll notice that it says those whose names are found written in the book. I think this is not simply that our names happen to be there, but that they are found written, implying a meticulous uh, search, which is characteristic of some specific process whereby God knows that our names are in there. Our names are found there. And the final reference in the, to the book of life in the book of Revelation, I think, helps us understand what is involved in gaining this um, access to the heavenly city. It says, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So you might be thinking, well, how does one have their name written in the Lamb's book of life? John answers that question in chapter um, uh, 3, I believe it is, of the Gospel of John. The way to receive life is to trust in Jesus Christ, to believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God. And He is the one who has become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As we trust in Christ for salvation, we are assured then that our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. And I can't think of any more devastating words to hear in the whole universe than those words that Jesus speaks at the end of Matthew chapter 7 to those group of individuals. Depart from me, I never knew you. Where here we find that our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. We're known by God. For the one who has trusted in God through Christ, we hear some of what might be the sweetest words in the whole universe, enter into your rest. And so we find in this chapter that not only are we a helped people, but we are a known people. Our names are written in the book of life. Thirdly, uh, he says that we will be a vindicated people. And, oh, there's certainly true that some of us, if this happens sooner than later, we might forfeit our lives in the presence. But in the end, we will be raised to everlasting life. This verse is an Old Testament reference which clearly teaches the bodily re resurrection of the people of God. 
And as we think about our world, we aren't those who embrace this naturalistic worldview that says this world is all there is. This is a closed universe. No, the Bible tells us that this world is not all there is. There is a new world to come. This world is passing away. And so it tells us here that many will be raised in resurrection to life. Because Christ has been raised, we too have the hope of resurrection. I love the word that's used here, and I often use this at gravesides. And I was thinking, I'm going to use this at the graveside uh, tomorrow when we're with Phil's family. And it's, he says, those who sleep, verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth. That is a very helpful reference to death. Because death is not the end. Death, using the word sleep, reminds us that we wake up from our sleep. That there is coming a day when we will awake from death, so to speak. And the word cemetery is a, a great word, which means it's, a, it's, it's just a, a, a place of rest. And that's the Christian hope, is it not? That after all the misery, all the darkness, all the persecution, we will be a vindicated person, people. We will be raised from the dead. But not everyone. Because he says, and some will be raised to shame and everlasting contempt. Raised from the dead, they will be forever excluded from the city of God. And this verse is not at all talking about annihilation of the wicked. It's not in view here, but rather it's a perpetual state of guilt and separation from God. Everlasting life, everlasting shame and contempt. So we will be vindicated for our trust in God because we will be raised from the dead. And we will also, we also though, as we walk through these difficult days, are to be an encouraging people. Verse 3 is such a meaningful verse to me. Back in 1981, when I um, was, was tapped on the shoulder by God, so to speak, and I was called to God, and I gave my heart to God and followed Him, my mom and dad gave me a Bible a few weeks later, and written in the front of that Bible was verse 3 of Daniel chapter 12. This verse should, I think, light a fire under us and our tendency to complacency. Because it's a reminder to us, no matter how bleak it gets, nothing should detract us from the, from the work of encouraging those around us. By sowing seeds of peace and, peace and truth, by coming alongside the discouraged or the fearful or those that are thinking about deserting from the faith and giving them hope. The wise mentioned here are not necessarily teachers or leaders. They're simply people who are confident in their God, confident in His Word. As I said last week, they know their God. And when people seem to be stumbling along the way because the persecution is great, because the darkness is thick, they come alongside of them and they speak words of hope and promise and encouragement to them. This verse says the same thing twice almost. The wise are those who lead many to righteousness. They will shine like the bright expanse, like stars forever. By their lives and by their words, they provide light for people and guidance for people as we walk through these difficult days. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I most often need in my life is encouragement. When life is tough, when life is black, when, when, when life is closing in on me, a kind word, a gentle word, a little note, a phone call, an email, a hand on the shoulder, just a word of encouragement is sometimes all I need to make it through another week or through another month. When apostasy looms, 
It's encouragers that help people remain steadfast. When times are confusing, it's the wise that helps people discern. I read this story this past week, and it was so helpful. It was just an illustration of how we encourage people when we're faltering. And back in 1540, there were two young Scottish lads who were um, sent to or charged with um, following God, and they were sent to be burnt at the stake, and Alexander Kennedy and Jerome Russell. uh, And as they plotted to their execution site, Russell looked over and noticed the signs of depression in his companion, and, and, and it's so, uh, uh, and, and that this task was going to be heavy before him. And he said to his brother, he said, Brother, fear not. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The pain that we are to suffer is short and shall be light, but our joy and consolation shall never have an end. Let us, therefore, strive to enter into our Master and Savior by the same straight way which he has trod before us, Death cannot destroy us, for it has already been destroyed by him for whose sake we are about to suffer. And the story goes, they walked on to the stake. What a help it is to have somebody like that encourage us when we face distress and difficulty. And lastly, we can be a prepared people. Notice in verse 4, Daniel is told that these are the end of the words. It's the conclusion to the vision, and he's now told to write it down and to seal the book. That does not mean to seal it and hide it away so that nobody can find it. Rather, to seal it meant to preserve it, and to preserve it for future generations so that they could come and read the Word and become encouraged by that Word. And so as we read the Word, we are prepared for what is to come. That is one of the reasons that we have prophecy, not the only one, but it's to prepare us for the days and the things that are going to come. And so God, in His grace and His mercy, has preserved this book of Daniel for us to have confidence that God knows the beginning from the end. As illustrated so precisely in those 500 years from uh, Darius or Xerxes to Antiochus, how God knows history down to the exact detail. This is a book that is meant to remind the people of God again and again that God will provide safe passage for us. And so the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of distress. He knows those who take refuge in him. The second point is simply this. There are some very difficult days on the horizon. Is there any comfort to sustain us? There are two questions in Daniel chapter 12, fascinating questions. The first question comes from the lips of one of the two angels on either side of the river bank. And it might seem a little surprising that heaven is interested in the events of the earth. But the angels also wanted to know what God is up to. They wanted to know God's work of redemption. I think they probably also wanted to know what God's final judgment would be on the rebellious angels. We know from Peter that the angels were interested in this whole amazing plan and purpose of salvation. It says they longed to look into it and to understand it. Furthermore, we know that angels are ministering spirits sent to come alongside of us and help us. We know that angels are there to protect us, as Psalm 91 says for us. So here, the angel expresses concern over the plight of the people of God. These two angels appear on either side of the river, and in the middle of them is the angel that we already came across in chapter 11, dressed in linen. And one of the angels asks him this question. How long shall it be 
to the end of these wonders. There's some question about what those wonders are. Some suggest that the wonders are just the, the, the difficulties or, or sort of the, the persecutions that the Antichrist will bring upon people. I tend to think it's just the wonders of God's people that are surviving and making it. Uh, the difficult things that they're going to go through. And the angel is just shocked as he has some sense of the difficult hardships that are going to come upon the people of God until Christ comes back. And so he comes before this angel dressed in linen and says, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? The answer in verse 7 is one of the most solemn moments, I think, in this whole vision. And I wonder if even in the entire book. The man in linen, it says, clothed in linen, raised both of his hands towards heaven, which is a symbol of taking an oath. And he swears by him who lives forever and ever, swears by him who sits on the throne. And this is what he says, that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the people, or the power of the holy people comes to an end, then these things will be finished. This is not something we often hear when a church gathers together. That our power will be shattered one day. But from this answer, I think two things are certain. The first is that however bad, however dark, however difficult, however severe this time will be for the people of God, it is a definite time. This is what we emphasized last week. He says, a time, times, and half a time. Such a phrase always refers to an extended period of time, but it also has in mind a definite period of time. Behind that phrase, whenever you come across it in prophecy, is this truth that God is in sovereign control over that time. And it will never last more than God has determined it to end. Jesus, I think, refers to this same thing. And he says for, in Matthew 25, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heavens. The powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The word of encouragement to us in the midst of this difficult time that is approaching us is to be comforted that it will have an end. And the second thing is to notice, in all honesty, that it will be a devastating time. It will not end until the shattering of the people or the power of the holy people. I have been in knots all week reading this. Just thinking about this for myself and my family and thinking i got to talk about this with the people of God on Sunday. I don't think there's any way to say this. I don't think there's any way to hear this other than just to hear it. Not until the powers of darkness have done their worst against the kingdom of God and the truth of God has been completely trampled on will God act finally. 
One commentator gives a summary of the scenario this way. He says, We will come to a point in history where it appears that darkness has really won the day. I just thought there, but you know, there was a day in history when darkness appeared to win the day. And that was when Christ was on the cross. And darkness came over the land for six hours. But God raised Christ from the dead. And so he says, there is coming this day when it appears that darkness has really won the day. It will seem as if the Antichrist is going to continue forever. It will seem as if the church has been entirely obliterated, for there will no longer be any sign of it. I thought, where is the comfort in that for God's people? When we are enduring the greatest agony and unjust trial and torture, we look expectantly to the promise of God, which says the time has an end. And he will see our distress, and as Jesus says, that he will cut those days short. As Jesus said to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Thirdly, and it only gets better, there are some very dark days ahead. Who will stand with firm resolve? The second question comes from the lips of Daniel, and he really says, I'm confused. I don't understand this, God. He says, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Again, outcome of what things? Well, the outcome of the shattering of the power of God's people. Can there be any good from that? Is there any benefit that comes from that? Why? What can come of all of that? And at first reading, the angel almost seems a little harsh. He says, go your way, Daniel. For the words are secret and sealed up until the time of the end. In other words, the vision is ended. Seal it up. Preserve it for a later time. But then he gives words of hope that encourage our resolve. We see that like Goshen in Egypt, there is a division between the righteous and the wicked. Through all these things, the time of the shattering, the people of God will be purified cleansed, and refined. I don't know about you, I do not look forward to difficult times at all, but I know that often coming out on the other end of them, I've learned something. I've softened. I've gained patience. I've learned trust. I know God better. And at the end of these days, the people of God will be purified, cleansed, and refined. In other words, these difficulties that we will go through have a purifying effect. As for the wicked, he says, they will just continue to act wickedly. There'll be no impact on them. And I was stunned again. I was just reading through parts of Revelation to read that when all the judgments of God comes on the earth and it's seen that God's hand is at work, the wicked do not repent. In fact, they rail against God. And they curse Him. And so for the people of God, there is sanctification. For the wicked, there is continued wickedness. Secondly, there will be an understanding gap. The wicked will not understand the ways of God. They will not trust the purposes of God, but the wise will understand, for the wise know their God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They know that God is behind these things. They, they trust the sovereign hand of God. They, they believe intuitively in the purposes of God. 
And they know that God works for our good, even though it might not feel like it, even though it might not look like it, even though it doesn't seem that way. We know that the promises of God are that all these things will work out for our good. It's a unique contrast, isn't it? The wise and the wicked. We might expect the righteous and the wicked, but here he says the wise and the wicked. But here it's the presence of wisdom and understanding that distinguishes the wise from the wicked. And finally, the wise will be characterized by endurance. I don't know if you noticed verse 11 there. Verse 11 is a fascinating verse. It says, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. I thought of a new song this past week. Blessed endurance, Jesus is mine. And it's stuck in my head. Because it says here, blessed are those who endure. You see, this is going to be an intense time when true worship of God is going to be repressed and it's going to be replaced by a false worship. And once again, we're giving two periods of time. The first is 1,290 days. And again, we're meant to understand this in parallel with verse 7, a time, a times, and half a time. They both are about three and a half years. And I think verse 7 points to the fulfillment of judgment that it will end. It is a wholeness. It is a number of wholeness, and it will end. And it seems to me even to pick up the final week of the 70 weeks that were in Daniel chapter 7 and just reminds us it's a signal that God's judgment is cut short for the sake of the elect. But looking at this period again, now as a reference to 1,290 days, the emphasis to me seems to be on the precision of those days. That God knows exactly how many days they are. That they are carefully measured and completely controlled by God. And why the second number of days? 45 more days, 1,335. Blessed is he who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. That's a reference to the people of God. That's a reference to their endurance. I don't know exactly what it means, but I do know that it means that those that reach 1,335 days have made it through the 1,290 days. And it says somewhere, does it not? He who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, are you going to be one of God's 1,335 people? That's what I want us to think about is endurance. I want to be one of God's 1335 people. I want to endure through all the hardships, through all the trials, through all the tribulations, and come out on the other end and be blessed at 1335 days. We've already witnessed such endurance, have we not, loved ones? We've seen it in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. It says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Could I say, and I say this so carefully, could I say that's the 1290 days that he endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he is seated at the right hand of God. Can I say that that's the 1335 that God has raised him up? He made it through those dark days of the cross. He was killed and he was murdered. He was mocked and he was despised. He was put into a grave. And God raised him from the dead. Consider him 
the Bible says, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Consider Jesus. With all reverence, he is the first 1335 person. The greatest abomination in heaven and earth was the murder of Jesus Christ. Wicked men laid their hands on him whose body was God's new temple on earth. They desecrated that body. They spat on it. They scourged it. They hung it on the tree as a sign of a man who was exposed to the curse of God. As he hung there, they mocked him. And yet we see the glory at the end of those days when God raised him from the dead and exalted him at his right hand. Christ is our example. You and I also can endure through difficult days. And then finally, the last verse, verse 13. I think these are amazing words of comfort and encouragement and guidance for us as God's people. So I, I put it this way. There, there are some final words to one beloved by God. Any counsel for you and me? For Daniel, all these things lay in the future. God had been gracious and given him insight and a certain amount of understanding into a new dimension of spiritual reality, apparently to encourage him and to help him pray. I think God's final words to Daniel in verse 13 are one that have direct application to you and I. How do we live in light of this reality that we may walk into some dark and difficult days. How do we do that? I love what God says to Daniel through the angel. But go your way to the end. In other words, go back to work until you die. That's what the end is for him. Go back to work. Get on with life. Go back to the court of Babylon. Go back to serving the king. Go back to praying. Go back to serving me. Go back to doing the things you do. Live out your life on earth as you have always done. We don't live in despair. We don't throw in the towel. We don't sell all our goods and go to some island in the middle of nowhere. We go back to what we do and we serve God there. I love this encouragement to us. He simply said, get on with your life. Continue serving God while you have breath. This is such practical counsel to you and I who live in the in-between time of Daniel's vision. I don't know where we are in God's timetable, but that shouldn't matter. We know what we should expect. We should be able to recognize it and see it that when it's on the horizon. But in the meantime, with it, just get on with life. Just with a little greater awareness, with a little firm resolve to know God a little bit more, to understand the times, but get on with life. Marry, bury, have children. Well, maybe that doesn't apply to us. Um, <laughs> have grandchildren and embrace them. Um, but just get on with life because we will all die. Serve the Lord faithfully until your end because the future is certain. Notice he says to, says to Daniel, um, but go on your way to the end and you shall rest. That's another way of referring to death. It's, it's another way of, though, of referring to our life's work is over. Right now, our job is to work. When we die, our gift is rest. Go on your way and rest. And then here's this incredible hope. For you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. 
Isn't that an incredible word of encouragement? You have an inheritance to receive. That's your lauded end. Like Daniel, the vast majority of us here probably will rest unless we are alive and among those who are here when the Antichrist appears. It seems to me, though, that this incredible statement is, um, is, is being made. While you have breath, work. When you die, your rest will come. But know that there is coming a day when you will receive your promised inheritance. What a great way to rend the book of Daniel. With this incredible hope that he has an inheritance waiting for him on the other side at the time of the end. And that is our hope as well here today. That no matter what happens to us, no matter what we go through, as we die in Christ, we will rest. And then when Christ comes back, we will receive this incredible eternal inheritance. Oh, the end of the days are coming. I cannot wait until the Son of Man comes in clouds with power and great glory, as Jesus himself describes in the dead in Christ will raise first, and then we who are alive will be caught up to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Can there be any greater hope to sustain us, loved ones, as we walk through difficult times? An eternity with Jesus who lived for us, who died for us, who rose for us, has united himself with us so that we might become his brothers and sisters, and so we might become sons and daughters of God. Only God Grant us strength to endure whatever the days ahead may bring. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its relevance to us and that even though sometimes it tells us of difficult and dark days coming, it also reminds us of great reason to be hopeful and encouraged. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And Charlene as well, God. Thank you for... For Dan, God, and I pray that uh, we would all just support Dan and, and uh, as he makes his transition, God, help us to seek your guidance, God, in everything that we do and how we react and how we treat um, Dan in his last uh, m few months here, God. Open the door wide for him. Um, make it obvious to him the direction you want. Pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thanks, guys. standing and just sing one verse of uh, the final hymn that we've got there as we uh, conclude this morning. Verse 1. In heavenly armor we'll enter the land. The battle belongs to the Lord. Weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing in glory, honor and pounds and strength to we sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. Well, thank you for your. Uh presence here today and uh, we kept you a little bit longer than normal but uh, hope that uh, 10 minutes will be okay with you. Uh, Dan and Charlene are around for a number of months yet before he um, has finished completely and you're welcome to go chat with him at any time about anything and uh, just uh, share your thoughts with him.
I want to read from uh, Jude as we close. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen.